Good morning, CCV family. It's so great to be with you. And uh, it, you'll notice that we are all meeting together online. And uh, there's a reason for that. But first, I wanted to thank all of you who are veterans, all of you who are uh, family members of veterans. We want to thank you for your service. We have an incredible country that we get to live in, and it's protected and made possible because of you. So thank you so much for what you have done. Now to why we're meeting online, uh, it's very simple. Uh, We've had two staff members, uh, ministry staff members come down with COVID and we had four preschool teachers come down with COVID. And so we contacted all of the people those people have been in contact with and we just felt that it was prudent uh, that for the next two weeks that we would take the time to recalibrate and clean our facility. We have like 50,000 square feet of facility. And in order to do that and for all of our teams to meet and prepare for services and stuff, we wanted to take the two weeks that the CDC guidelines uh, allow us. And we're going to come back and meet together in person in our Warriorsford campus in Philadelphia on uh, November 29th. Until then, to this, this Sunday and next Sunday will be all online. So let's jump into what we're talking about. We're in the middle of this series called Better, and we're talking about things in our lives that we could just do better, and it's just obvious. We know we need to do better at it, and uh, so what we're going to do today is talk about a topic that is near and dear to the heart of God because it's near and dear to enabling his disciples uh, to experience life to the fullest. And so we're going to get to that. By way of getting to that, I want to tell you about a book by Robert Kawasaki called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I always wanted to read this book. And when I got my hands on this book, I was so excited. It starts out this way. My two dads had opposing attitudes and thought, one dad recommended study hard so you can get, find a good company to work for. The other recommended study hard so you can find a good company to buy. One dad said, the reason I'm not rich is because I have kids. The other said, the reason I must be rich is because I have kids. One encouraged talking about money and business at the dinner table. The other forbade the subject of money to be discussed over a meal. One said, when it comes to money, play it safe. Don't take risks. The other said, learn to manage risks. One dad struggled to save a few dollars. The other simply created investments. At the age of nine, I decided to listen to and learn from my rich dad about money. In doing so, I chose not to listen to my poor dad, even though he was the one with all of the college degrees. When I opened this book, I thought for sure that this was going to um, give me a strategy uh, for how to get ahead financially. And people just love this book so much. And as I dug into the book, uh, I realized that his strategy for getting ahead financially was real estate, particularly creating limited partnerships, where you basically get other people to invest their money, you direct the investment in a real estate deal, and they make a certain percentage of the deal. Now, the problem with this is that we are in the middle of an incredibly difficult financial time, and people who think that they're going to get into real estate, particularly limited partnerships, as a get-rich-quick scheme will lose their shirts. 
And that's because those of you who actually are in real estate, those of you who do limited partnerships, and I know many of you, the fact of the matter is, you know it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It takes years of hard work and expertise, just like in any financial endeavor. So what I believe the Bible wants us to look at is the advice of the richest dad, one of the richest dads to ever live. He actually wrote the book of Proverbs, and this is his financial advice. Ask whatever you want me to give you, God asked this rich dad. Give me wisdom and knowledge, he said. And then God said to this rich dad, Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place at Gideon and he reigned over Israel. And the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stones. And then 2 Chronicles 9.22 says, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all of the other kings on earth. And you want to know what his financial advice was? His overarching financial advice? One of the richest people that have ever lived on this planet? It's this, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And what Solomon was trying to communicate is, yeah, you need money, and yes, you have to have a good plan. But if your pursuit, your life pursuit is just to make money, you're going to find that when you accumulate that money, it's not going to be what you thought it would be, like the all of the uh, uh, amazing feelings that you thought you would get when you get it are just going to sprout and go away. And so what Solomon has is a very disciplined three-point strategy that any of us can follow regardless of the circumstances. And the first part of that strategy is found in Proverbs 22.7. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And that has to do with paying off our consumer debt. So the very first week, we asked everybody to leave and be committed to pay off our consumer debt. That's the first thing. And so the second thing, however, that, that, that um, Solomon gets into, which is more than just paying off debt, that if we're going to do finances in a way that honors God and that is fulfilling for us and makes a difference in other people's lives, we must give. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of your crops. That's the first 10%. He's talking about tithing here. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so the Bible teaches that God owns it all and we just simply manage it for him. And we talked about last week that if we are faithful 
in removing our consumer debt, and if we are faithful in tithing, that just like that, that illustration that I used last week, God is going to take the little that we give him and he's going to give back. He's going to ask us to pull your shirt out because I'm going to just dump blessings back into your lap. And we want to experience that. But so last week we talked about committing to tithe 10% of our income to God through CCV. And we had on par uh, to, I think it was 2015, 2016, 2017, on par to the numbers that we've had in the past. In the middle of COVID, we've had, we had almost the exact number of people new people commit to tithe last week and it was absolutely amazing. But the third thing, what I want to get to today is save money for the future. Solomon says this, Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. That means this week, doesn't matter what you have, doesn't matter what your bills are, you're going to put something away in savings, even if it's $5. You're, little by little, you're going to make it grow over time. Get rich, quick schemes rarely work. For the one time they work, there's 999 people it doesn't work for. And it's only by disciplined, removing debt, giving, and saving that that makes that happen. So, you know, let me ask you a question. Is it more spiritual to be poor? Like this is the major roadblock for Christians. Is it more spiritual to be poor? And a lot of Christians will think this. Number one, because there's that money is the root of all evil passage in the Bible. But we ought to avoid money. That's not what the Bible says. 1 Timothy 6.10 says the love of money is the root of all evil. The other reason that um, people think that Christians should be poor is they believe Jesus was poor. Here's the thing. When people say that, listen, when people say that, they don't understand first century history and culture. Jesus was a tecton. He was a builder. He was a carpenter. Think of the people who um, are, run their own construction crews today. These are not people that um, have no money at all. These are good jobs. He had a good job. When he turned 30 and he went to Capernaum, he gave that up so that the last three years of his life would be devoted to spending time with his disciples and spreading the message. Before that, however, he rubbed shoulders with wealthy people all of the time. You read in the gospel story after story after story of people who had wealth that, people, that Jesus rubbed his shoulders with, rubbed shoulders with. And how did he do that? It's because he had those relationships before he went to Capernaum for the last three years of his life. So Jesus wasn't poor. In fact, there is this story where Mary and Martha are these two women that live in Bethany, which is a little suburb of Jerusalem. And uh, on the other side of the Garden of Gethsemane and the Mount of Olives, there's Bethany. And Jesus would often stay at their house. One time... In the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that Jesus and his, and his disciples went to stay at their house. And look what it says. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha 
opened her home to him. I want you to notice first, women, I want you to notice, this is so unusual. A woman owned the home. In the first century, women were considered property. But here in Jesus's ministry, the way he interacted with women, women were, a woman owned a home and it was big enough so that a band of 30 some people could come and live with that. I do hear that. So women, like I've told my daughters, do not skip an education and depend on a man who's going to provide all of your needs. You're going to be a co-equal and a partner, but you want to be in a position to stand on your own, own two feet and get your own job and run your own business and take care of yourself financially. And I think that's important for those of you who are Christian women, that you see this in the example of Jesus's life. Mary and Martha were people of means, and they didn't get there by get-rich-quick schemes. They got there by taking money as they got it, little by little, setting aside and making it grow. Why does God want us to have money? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, we're gonna have needs that arise. If we don't put money away, wealth, if we don't put wealth away, we're not going to have the money when car repairs are needed or we wanna buy a house or we wanna buy stuff for a house or medical things happen. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. It's not more spiritual to be completely destitute. Number two, we will have godly wants. You're going to want to go on vacation. You're going to want to buy that car. You're going to want to help your child. You're going to want to help an extended family member. Uh, You want to do all kinds of things. And if you don't have money, you're not going to be able to do that. But then finally, you're going to have genuine kingdom needs that are going to arise. Around our church, uh, we have a general pot called the general fund. Everybody tithes into that. And out of that, we run all of our local ministries. We pay our staff. We pay the electric bill. uh, We do local outreach, feeding the poor, all these sorts of things locally. But then when it comes to above the tithe, that's called the offering, that's up to you totally. Like if you want to support a child in Kenya, like Lisa and I do, we support two, a boy and a girl, do that. You want to give to our capital campaign, do that. You want to get whatever it is, do that. It's totally up to you. But here's the thing. If you don't save money, you're never going to have the ability to take that money and make a difference. So we're going to encourage you to do that today, to begin to systematically Like Solomon says, take your money little by little and make it grow. Because that's what disciples of Jesus do. They build wealth so they could be people through whom God can give wealth to bless other people. Now, I want everybody to pull your phones out. Um, You might have seen this last week, but I need everybody to pull your phone out and I need you to pull out the church app or what I want you to do is I want you to text 94000. And in the caption, in the text, I want you to type CCVPA. As you're doing that, as you're going to the app and uh, you're touching the button that says tithing challenge or you text, there's going to be a form that comes up. Um, A lot of people will ask, how do you fund stuff around here? It's because you look around. It's because all of us sacrifice 
and we pool our money together to honor God, to make the ministry locally happen and help people around the world. And so what we're going to do is we're gonna ask you to take a tithing challenge. And the tithing challenge is very simple. Our church leadership knows it's a big deal for you to begin tithing for the very first time. Because you're like, well, what am I gonna do on 90%? How am I gonna make this happen? And if you didn't see last week's message, I wanna encourage you to go watch that. What the 90-day tithing challenge simply is, is the finance team, the leadership knows it's hard to do that. So what they wanna do is they wanna take away the risk. And the 90-day tithing challenge is simply this. If you begin tithing this week for the next 90 days, 10% of whatever you make, and you give it, and at the end of 90 days, you don't feel that God has blessed you, then all of your money can be returned. If you request your money back, give you all of your money back. And the reason we do that is we want you to experience God's blessing in your life. We want you to take that step. So what's the risk? What's the risk? If at the end of 90 days, you're better off, that it's as if you've never tithed before, but now you get God's blessings. But if you don't feel like that, you've, God has blessed you, request your money back. So what we want to do right now is we want to ask you to fill out this form. So go ahead and do that right now. I want to do that with you. As you fill in your name, there's a question. Are you going to continue to tithe? You can check that. You don't need to take the challenge. Or you can check the box that says, I'm going to do this for the very first time. And you hit submit. Our executive pastor gets that. He's going to respond to you on Monday. And what we're going to do is we're just going to take a moment right now. We're going to ask for God's blessing over people here in this congregation. Okay? There are, there are people, this is a really difficult time. No one needs to tell you that. To start tithing in the middle of COVID is just like an extra step of faith. But I believe that there's an extra blessing that God's going to give you. So let's just pray that right now. So God, we just thank you so much for our friends and family. We thank you so much for our neighbors. We thank you for the new people. We thank you for people who have been here a long time and have never tithed. God, right now, we just pray that you would place your hand upon the people who are making this commitment and prove yourself. As they test you, prove yourself and bless them because of their step of faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Brian Jones Sermons. For more information and to find similar articles on this topic and more, please go to Brian's website at brianjones.com.